So uh, my title today is Superheroes Don't Always Wear Capes. Now, how many of you have kids under the age of 10? How many have kids, but they're all kind of grown up and creepy or whatever, right? And how many of you at one point were a kid? Okay, good. So everyone should have raised their hand at some point. Well, I remember, now my kids are teenagers, but I remember when they were little, I was a superhero in their eyes. I really was. I had miraculous powers. Like, my kids, when they were little, they loved these action figures called rescue heroes. Does anyone remember rescue heroes? And my kids would get these action figures for Christmas, and they would be like welded into these plastic packages and wrapped, and, and they're not fragile at all, but I don't know, whoever packaged them just wanted to torment parents on Christmas morning, but my kids would get these, and, and literally, I would have to take the whole package out to my garage and put it on my workbench and like saw it open, and I would come back in and I'd go, here you go, and dad, woo, and they'd run out, dad got it out, I didn't think it could ever get out, dad can do anything, thank you, I am a superhero. I could follow the most complex directions and take a hunk of plastic and make it into a spaceship. It was amazing, and my kids would hug me and kiss me. I could lift anything. I remember one day we were upstairs, and one of their toys rolled way underneath a twin bed, just a little twin bed, and I went over, and I picked this thing up, and literally, all three boys were like, oh, I think one of them wet his diaper. It was like, oh my gosh. And they went under there and they got the toy and they went running downstairs and Pam, understanding my fragile psyche, the boys said to mom, mom, dad lifted the bed. And mom went, your father's the strongest man in the world. And in sports, Forget about it. Back in the day, if Donovan McNabb was struggling for the Eagles, I was the answer. Why don't the Eagles sign you, Dad? You throw a football, great. You could do it. And if my son would say, well, Dad does church stuff in the morning on Sundays, but he could play in the 4 o'clock games. I could play for the Eagles. I could play for the Flyers. I could play for the Sixers. One time my kids, they wanted to play some street hockey and so I had a little net. We set it up in the driveway and my son Jack said, I want to be goalie. And the insistence of mom meant that Jack had to wear every piece of protective wear that was ever created. And so after about a half an hour of dressing up Jack, and unfortunately he was only this big and he was wearing all adult size gear, He's standing in the driveway like this. And if you pushed him, he would just fall over. He just couldn't even move. And I took this little plastic puck and I zipped it right over his head and it went in the net. And my son went, Dad, you should play for the Flyers. Whenever they shoot, it hits the goalie or goes over the net. But you put it right in. <sighs> Times have changed. And perhaps my superpower, my superhero aura has begun to dim. Now we still play sports, 
But instead of, hey, dad, you should be the quarterback for the Eagles, or dad, you should play for the Flyers or the Sixers or the Phillies, instead they say things like this. Hey, dad, don't get hurt. Hey, dad, you're really breathing hard. Hey, dad, do you need to sit down? Or how about, hey, dad, remember your knee brace. And in the best phrase, hey, dad, do you want me to get mom? Well, as I was preparing this message, I started thinking, maybe I'm not a superhero. Maybe I've lost my power. Maybe all these years, my fragile psyche was propped up by this idea that my kids thought I could do anything. But as I prepared and as I was reading God's word, I realized that I do possess a superpower. I possess a power that I'm convinced 80% of our population does not have. But here's the good news. You may have that superpower too. And I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 and we're going to start at verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, in your Bible, maybe it says the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe it says the, the story of the lost son. In my Bible, it does say the parable of the lost son. I want to start out in Luke 15. We'll start at verse 11. And Jesus is telling a story, and it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided them, his livelihood. Now we start off, and right off the bat, this is a very heavy request. This son has gone to his father and basically said, hey dad, I know you have a lot. And I know when you die, I'll get that. But it would be really cool if I could get it now. So in other words, dad, if you were dead, I'd be in a better situation. Now, it's very disrespectful. It's a very harsh statement. Some would say this kid has incredible guts even to ask it. But more remarkable, the father does it. Why would this father do this? Maybe we'll find out. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. And so not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Guys, this kid, number one, he goes away from anyone who could speak truth into his life. And he wastes his, all of his inheritance on prodigal living. A lifetime of careful saving, a lifetime of careful preparation for this kid's future 
is gone in a short time. And as adults, we all know what it's like. It takes a long time to earn it, but how quickly can it go away? Wow. Because drop the car off at 8.30 at the shop, and at 10 o'clock, the guy calls you. And I pick up the phone. Hey, Rick, how we doing? Well, Eric, and you know that auto surgery is going to be required. And suddenly, you're selling organ parts on the internet. But this kid has wasted his inheritance on prodigal living. And I know as a parent, it's funny, I've given my kids, like maybe we'll go on vacation. When they were younger, I would say, hey, listen, guys, here's a little bit of money that you can use on vacation. And then we'll go out to eat and we'll have a nice meal and we'll do all that. And then instantly, right after we meet, we'll like go into an amusement park and they would buy like, you know, a $29 lollipop that's this big. And as a parent, doesn't that irritate you? Give you that money and that's what you're gonna get. And at one point, Pam said, but you gave them the money that they could do whatever they want. Lick, lick, the thing breaks, falls on the ground, you throw it in the trash. You look over at the lollipop vendor, he's laughing. <laughs> but this kid has wasted all he has. But listen, life, I got to tell you something. You don't get humble in life. You get humbled by life. Because look what happens. Verse 14, but when he had spent all he had, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So all of a sudden, things out of his control happen. And that's what throws a lot of us in the problems. It's not the things we're counting on. It's not the things that we see coming down the road. It's the things that we don't know are coming down the road. And this nest egg that he had would have perfectly prepared him to withstand this famine. But guess what? Surrounded by people who don't know him, who don't necessarily care about him, and with no resources, he's kind of dead in the water here. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And they sent him into the field to feed swine. Now for a Jewish person, this would be as low as you can go. He has to make himself a servant. And in of all jobs, he has to work with an animal that he believes is unclean. But the humiliation and the humbling goes even further. It says uh, in verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Have you ever been hungry? I mean really hungry. Hungry to the point where something that you would never think of eating, you would eat? I think so. I remember one time when my brother was in college, he worked at a, a McDonald's part-time, helped pay for himself to get through college. And one night he goes, Eric, man, tonight son, I got scared out of my wits. I said, what happened? He goes, it was late at night. We were cleaning up. It was about midnight. There was no one around. I go out to the dumpster with this trash, and I throw it, and I open up, and there's somebody in the dumpster. And he said, it scared me at that. I said, damn, I, like I thought, is the person dead? Like what? what? He said, Eric. 
He had a flashlight, and he was digging through and eating leftover food. And I said, why would he do that? And he said, if you're starving bad enough, you do it. And this kid has been humbled to the point where he's literally looking at pig slop and going, I would eat that. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I am here perishing with hunger? He comes to his senses and realizes this is ridiculous, my state of life right now. And it doesn't have to be this way. And all of a sudden, he thinks back not to his life, what he came from. He thinks back to the servants who served him. And he says, oh my gosh, my life used to be spectacular. For Pete's sakes, the servants used to live a great life. The servants used to live a great life. And what am I doing? Now listen, I want to tell you that many of you sitting out here today are going, Eric, I've got a prodigal in my life. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's a brother, or maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, but someone that is near and dear to your heart and you are praying for that wake-up call. You are praying for that moment where they're gonna go, wait a minute, why am I living like that? Why am I in this place? I should be back here. What am I doing? How many of you have someone that you love that's wandered away from God and it's just eating you up? Because they're wanting to eat pig slop and you're going, you're a child of God. What are you doing? But this kid has a wake-up call. And listen, I want to tell you, if you're in that position with a prodigal, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Because I'm going to say that I've seen it with people that I love and care for. Our sinful stubbornness is astounding. But finally, this kid gets it. And he realizes, I need to get out of this situation. But listen to what his solution is. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Guys, let me tell you something. He has a solution, but it's got two steps. One, I'm getting out of here. Step one. Step two, He's going to go to his father and say, hey, dad, I've sinned before God, and I've dishonored you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Now, everyone needs to stop and think about this for a second. Think about what that would look like. Every time there was a party and a get-together, People would walk in and go, isn't that your son? It's not my son anymore. 
He just works here. He's hired help. Whoa. Every time the older brother has his buddies over and they go, yo, it's your little brother, right? Nope, not anymore. Go get us something to eat. That's who he is. He's a servant. And the very servants who used to serve the, the boy himself, now he's working with them. And guess what? Probably one of them is his boss. You want to talk about humbling yourself? You're now going to be the servant to the servant who used to serve you. Think that one through. This son's brokenness is to the extent that there is nothing beneath him anymore. He's willing to do anything. How many of us, me included, would say, listen, I'll be a servant, but I'm not crawling back home. I'm not crawling back home and have everyone look at me and laugh at me and say comments about me. I won't do that. But the son says, I will. I'm broken. I'll go back. I'll give up everything just to be a servant. If he'll just let me be a servant, my life will be made. Let's keep going here. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me tell you something. Probably the last time that this kid was touched was probably someone who beat him, probably someone who was awful to him, probably some guy who was treating him like a slave, laughing at him, ridiculing him. And all of a sudden, the one person who this son thinks I have hurt more than anyone wraps his arms around him, kisses him. And I'm guessing that they're so close together that the son is almost overwhelmed. And he's almost maybe wanting to push him back. And he says, Father, I really messed up. I sinned before God. What I've said to you and what I've done is just evil. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Make me your servant. And I was trying to think, of what this kid would look like when his father saw him. And it was interesting. I just kept thinking, thinking, I thought, what would this kid, because you know what? You see pictures like in, in books or what people draw, and he always looks like he's happy, and the father sees him, and he's happy. But I think he probably looked a little rough. He left, and he was dressed well, fed well, probably looked well. When he came back, maybe not so well. Steph, why don't you put this picture up here? This picture is from World War II. This is a concentration camp called Dachau. And this is the day 
that American soldiers liberated that camp. And I want you to contrast something in your head. You can tell that these men physically do not look well. And I'm guessing if they took their shirts off that you would see their ribs and maybe you would see scars and marks. Maybe some of them are struggling with diseases, which I'm sure happen in a situation like that. But look at every one of their faces. Liberated. I read a soldier's account of this, and he said, we, we came up, and he said, we were very cautious approaching this camp because he said, honestly, we worried it was a trap. And he said, we started sneaking up, and of course, we're sneaking up with our weapons drawn. And he said, and all these men were huddled in the center of the camp, and all of them, he said, were terrified of us. And he said, we're trying to speak to him and many of the language barriers and that. And so one soldier just turned his arm and he had an American flag embroidered and he went, America, America. And he said, and one of the, one of the people in the camp yelled, it's Americans. And he said, and the place blew up with screaming and celebrating. And the first thing they did is they said, turn off the fences, turn off the fences. And immediately, as soon as they turned off the electric fences, Everyone ran and stuck their arms through. And he said, the most amazing thing is, they just wanted us to touch them. And he said, literally, some of them hugged us through barbed wire fences. Because maybe it was the first time in a long time that someone who was there to help said, I got you. I'm gonna help you. And I envision this son looking like this, sickly, skinny, wearing rags, and the father looks at him. And any parent, they only want two things for their kids. The first thing is you want your kid to be safe. But look at what the second thing is. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the first thing a parent wants is for their kid to be safe, wherever they are. The second thing a parent wants is for their kid's head and their heart to be in the right place. And I guarantee that when that father heard that son, he went, he gets it. He gets it. And I guarantee the father said, you know what? I can't change your heart and I can't change your mind, but God has done that. But I'll tell you what I can do. And look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Take this rag off of him. Put some decent clothes on him. Put up and put it on and put a ring on his hand because the old one, I'm sure, was sold in desperation. And put sandals on his feet because maybe his feet were cut up and bruised and nasty with some infections in them and all sorts of stuff going on. And what does the father say? Put a robe on him. Cover up those ribs. Put a ring on his finger. This is my son sandals on his feet. So he says, 
And then let's do something about those ribs. Bring out the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. And why? For this son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Because the father says, listen, when he left, his pockets were bulging with cash. But his soul was bankrupt. And when he came back, it's the absolute opposite. Pockets are empty. It's bankrupt. But his soul is alive. And as a parent, that's the greatest celebration you can ever have when you know that your kid is safe and they're right with the Lord. There's no greater thing than that. I don't care what's going on. There's no greater thing than that. So he says, listen, we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna have a good time. But let's keep going here with the story. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And they said to him, your brother has come and because he was received safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. What they tell the older brother is, your brother is back. Praise God he's alive and he's a new person. You should come in and see him. It's amazing. Well, the son does not have that same kind of reaction. But he became angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And, you get, and, you, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now guys, I'm gonna tell you, there's some problems in this passage. Problem number one is this, the older son makes it seem like his life is not good. But do you think that the younger son thought his older brother's life was good? I think he thought it was spectacular. So spectacular that he's willing to just be a servant to the older son. The older son, I'm guessing, was wearing a nice robe. I'm guessing he had a nice ring on his finger. And I'm guessing he had his choice of sandals to wear every day. Did he have to work? Yeah. Was he provided for? Yeah. Was he treated fairly? Yes. Was he loved? Yes. Was he cared for? Yes. Did he even have a social life? I think he did. I think his life was pretty well, but it wasn't enough. And he says to the father, and then here's the second problem, this son of yours, he makes it seem like he's not related to him. Yeah, I read this passage a while back to some middle school kids, and this one little girl caught right on. She raised her hand. She said, Pastor Eric, he said to the father, this son of yours, but isn't it his brother? Yeah, it is. But sure doesn't make it seem that way. But this brother of yours, or this son of yours, is not my brother. He blew everything. 
But listen to what the father responds to him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. In other words, the dad says, son, a miracle has happened to your brother. And you and I both know what the miracle is. You and I both know that what left here was a selfish, self-righteous, greedy punk. But son, what returned is a contrite, broken, humble man. Son, it's a miracle. But the older son wants nothing to do with it. The father says, listen, yes, he blew his inheritance. And it's going to change his life. It will have effects on his life. Son, everything else here is yours. Your inheritance is intact. Doesn't matter. He can't get past the past. Now, a lot of you are going, no, wait a minute. I tuned out. Where's the superpower part? I want to be a superhero. What I'm going to challenge you today is this. I would suggest that you have a superpower. And it's the power to forgive. See, the difference between the two brothers is the older son views himself as unappreciated and better than his younger brother. By the end of the story, the younger brother views himself as a sinner and unworthy. Can you imagine if we could have gotten the two to interact? Can you imagine if the older brother would have went into the house and said, listen, before we sit down and start eating lamb chops and stuff, I gotta talk with you. And he pulled his brother aside and he said, you know what? I'm really angry with you. We're having this big celebration. Do you know how much pain you caused dad? Do you know how much, like this is incredible that you have the guts to come back here. But you know what? Here's what I think he would have been met with. I think this brother would have looked at him and said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I was so wrong. And what I did is shameful, sinful, evil. I don't even know where to start, but I'll say this. I'm sorry. And can we start over, the two of us? But that interaction never happened because he's still outside, miffed about the past. Now, some of you are saying, hey, you know what, Eric? Forgiveness is kind of a touchy subject with me because here's what I've realized about people. We have parameters in forgiveness. Hey, I'll forgive anything that happens in here, but Eric, you don't understand, this happened to me, and I don't forgive that, because that was awful. Or Eric, I forgive this stuff, but you know what? I'm not gonna forgive this person because all I've done is been good and faithful and loyal and wonderful to this person, and they treat me awful. I'm not forgiving that. But I'm gonna challenge us all today, because maybe we need to learn a lesson about forgiveness from Mary Johnson. I want you to check out this video. 
We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. How's that for forgiveness? <laughs> now I'm gonna tell you something. What I just share with you about these parameters, it's, I'm not saying, oh, this is about you. This is true about me. But I don't know how you watch a video like that and then think, well, but I've got parameters to my forgiveness. I read a little bit about this woman. Now remember, this guy O'Shea spent 17 years in prison. For years, she had nothing to do with him. But then at one point, 
in a more in-depth interview, she said, listen, it got to a point where a friend of mine said, listen, you're going to die young if you don't go face this man and forgive him. Can you imagine driving your car to a prison? And when they come in and the, and the guy says, who are you here to visit? And she says, the prisoner, are you family? No. How do you know the prisoner? He's here because he murdered my son. Can you imagine being the prisoner and saying, you've got a visitor? It's the mom. But at some point, she said, if I don't open up and just forgive, I love that term she said, it's a cancer. She said, the forgiveness, I needed to do it because it was killing me not to. You know, over the past, I don't know, year or so, in social media, I've seen a lot of people that I know and a lot of people I love put a term called hashtag me too on their status. And I've reached out to some of these people who I've known very well and said, oh my gosh, man, we've been friends for years. We're like, what happened? And I don't even want to tell you some of the stories that I got back. Awful, awful things. Awful enough that I get off the phone and I literally almost feel like I'm going to get physically sick. And it's not even my life. But here's the thing that I just kept pressing on me. You got to forgive. And forgiveness does not dismiss or diminish what has happened. But like Mary said, the forgiveness is for you. Because here's what the problem is in the prodigal son or the lost son. Both the father and both sons acknowledge that what happened back here was awful. But the young son and the father realize there's still a future. But the older son's going, uh-uh, that happened. And everyone's acknowledging that that happened. But two of them have said, I know. But we got this in front of us. So let's acknowledge this and let's process this. But let's live this and see. You know, whenever I speak, uh, I always end with three for the road. I do this no matter if it's I'm te teaching teens or adults or whatever. But I want to close you with three for the road about forgiveness. And three for the road forgiveness, number one is keep no records of wrongs. Now that's in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. But I'm going to tell you this. You can't forgive if you're keeping score. Because if Mary and O'Shea are keeping score, then Mary would never forgive. Because O'Shea took her son's life. But you can't do that in the forgiveness business. Can you imagine if God started keeping score with us? And he says, okay, um, I died on the cross for your sins. What did you do? 
I read my Bible today. Okay, I died on the cross for your sins. What did you do? I gave some money to church. Okay, you're never gonna catch up. You're never gonna catch up. And God's saying, listen, that's why I didn't come here to keep score. I came here to end the game. Keep no records of wrong. Three for the road, forgiveness. Number two, keep no records of right. I just made that one up. That's from the book of Segul, chapter five, verse seven. But I'm gonna tell you this. I know a lot of people in my life who are very willing to tell me about the things I do wrong. And I'm gonna hear about that. Or this or that or different things. But I also know a lot of people who will justify their way they treat someone else because they're keeping track of how great they are. Well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did that and this is how this person did it, so I'm done. How many of you have had that thought in your heart before? And yet God's saying, I was never done. I was never done with you. When I said it was finished, it is finished, I meant sin. I didn't mean I'm finished and I didn't mean you're finished. I meant sin is finished. Forgiveness is yours. And you can't be in the forgiveness business if you're keeping track of wrongs and you're keeping track of rights. Just forgive. And in three for the road, forgiveness. Number three, forgiveness does not erase the consequences. It acknowledges the soul's need to move forward. I believe that O'Shea served over 17 years in prison. 17 years in prison. He began serving in prison. He was tried as an adult. He committed this murder when he was 16 years old. I think he went to prison when he was like 18. Guys, can you imagine if you just erased the years from like 18 into your early 30s? He was caged like an animal. And that forgiveness that he received from Mary is powerful, but it didn't erase the point that he was found guilty of a felony. And that's on his record forever. And let me tell you something. God bless Mary for t encouraging the landlord to let him live there. Because let me ask you this. If you are a landlord and a guy who's a convicted murderer wants to move into your neighborhood, how do you feel about it? I don't think so. Let somebody else deal with him. That's gonna be with him for the rest of his life. But I think what Mary is trying to work with him to say, hey, you know what, that's the past, and yes, it's always there. You got this in front of you, kid. What are you gonna do? Forgiveness does not erase consequences. It acknowledges the soul's need to move forward, and maybe today you're saying, you know what, there's consequences and there's some hardships that are going on here, but you're right, I gotta move forward. The older brother just wants to dwell on the past. 